0: As you're taking your seats, turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 16. While you're turning there, let me ask you a question. You ever, you ever have a few too many coincidences? Like it's starting to not really be coincidences anymore, right? A few too many coincidences. In reflection on the last couple passages that I've had the privilege to preach, I'm starting to notice a pattern. I always get the hard ones. And it's, it's getting to not be a coincidence. Now, I don't know if Pastor Lee has some nefarious plan to split town. I suspect not. But turn with me now to 1 Samuel chapter 16. Now, you're thinking I told you the wrong chapter. That's because I did. That's the chapter I want to preach. 1 Samuel 16 is a great passage. But that's next week. Turn back to chapter 15. <laughs> You don't get David just yet with me. Now, instead today we get to talk about rejection. We get to talk about the rejection of Saul. Hear now the word of God from 1 Samuel chapter 15. And Samuel said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people Israel. Now therefore listen to the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I have noted what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came up out of Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. So Saul summoned the people and numbered them in Telaim, 200,000 men on foot and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to the city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. Then Saul said to the Kenites, Go, depart, go down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the people of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. And Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and devoted to destruction all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fattened calves and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless, they devoted to destruction. The Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry, and he cried to the Lord all night. And Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning, and it was told Samuel, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up a monument for himself, and turned and passed on and went down to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed be you to the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, What then is this bleating of sheep in my ears and the lowing of oxen that I hear? Saul said, They have been brought uh, from the Amalekites for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. And the rest we have devoted to destruction. Then Samuel said to Saul, Stop! I will tell you what the Lord has said to me this night. And he said to him, Speak. And Samuel said, Though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go, devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? And Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination, and presumption is as iniquity as idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me, that I may bow before the Lord. And Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you for being king over Israel. As Samuel turned to go away, Saul seized the skirt of his robe, and it tore. And Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And also the glory of Israel will not lie or have regret, for he is not a man that he should have regret. Then he said, I have sinned, yet honor me now before the elders and my people and before Israel, and return with me, that I may bow before the Lord your God. So Samuel turned back after Saul, and Saul bowed before the Lord. Then Samuel said, Bring here to me Agag, the king of the Amalekites. And Agag came to him cheerfully. Agag said, Surely the bitterness of death is past. And Samuel said, As your sword has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless among among women. And Samuel hacked Agag to pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. Then then Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went up to his house in Gibeah of Saul. And Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death. But Samuel grieved over Saul. And the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. The word of God for the people of God. It's a hard passage. It's a poetic passage. It's got a lot in here. This is a quick summary. Verses 1 through 3, we see the command of Yahweh, the covenant Lord of Israel given to his anointed king. Four through nine, we see Saul kind of doing what he's told. Maybe. Samuel finds out from a word from the Lord, no less. And Saul gives a half-hearted defense of himself, which ultimately results in the Lord's rejection of Saul. But Samuel, on the other hand, obeys Yahweh's voice and withdraws. There's a lot in this passage, and there's a lot I'm not going to address simply for the sake of time. One of those things is the paradox introduced by this passage But I would commend to you the devotional at the end of the bulletin today, which addresses that in detail. But I want to submit to you a a small, I'm going to break uh, my vow, if you will, to my Hebrew professor not to do this in a sermon. Teach you two quick Hebrew words. Can I do that? Two quick Hebrew words. Kol and Shema. Now you've probably heard Shema before. From the Grand Shema, Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Shema' is the Hebrew word for "Listen, hear." Hebrew word kohls is voice or sound. These two words happen together over 14 or 15 times in this passage. Hear, voice, sound, loudness. You can hear a cacophony. What dominates this passage is many voices, many sounds getting into the ears of Saul. And the question is, which one shall Saul deal with? Shall he listen to Yahweh? The people, will he hear the coal, the bleating of sheep and lowing of oxen, and decide, oh, maybe I should keep those? Or will he listen to the internal voice of his own heart? What is he going to do? Will he wade through this cacophony of sound and seek out the low whisper of Yahweh's voice? No. Instead, he will listen to almost every other voice in this passage than Yahweh's. But I want to see this morning through a lot of detail and a lot of things in this passage, three quick things, three character flaws or consequences of Saul's action. First, I want to look at the deafness of Saul. The deafness of Saul. Secondly, I want to look at the hardness of Saul. And finally, I want to see at that great consequence, the rejection of Saul. So first, let's examine the deafness of Saul. Have you ever thought to yourself, you know, if the Lord would just come to me in a vision or a dream and just speak to me would just answer my prayer audibly if I could hear his voice audibly and he says hey take that job you're gonna make plenty of money and I'm gonna take care of you that's the job you need to take you ever had a had an impulse like that trying to make a decision which house should I buy which deal should I go after which person should I date which person should I marry faced with all sorts of things. And I think it's tempting, I know it's tempting, to, if the Lord would just tell me, right? The other day, I was talking to Michael Cochran about his visa issue. And, and in fact, he texted me that very thing. He said, yeah, I just wish the Lord would say, you're going to be in Cheltenham for this long, and then this is when you're going to receive your visa, and then this is when you're going to go to Oxford. And I said, yeah, because when the Lord speaks, we're so ready to listen, aren't we? You're so not ready. We see here in 1 Samuel 15 that God could not have been more explicit, more crystal clear in what he desired from Saul. Something that we call the ban. Now we saw this back in Joshua. When conquering the land, everything within the boundaries of the promised land was devoted to the ban. Everything had to go. It was a liquidation sale. Everything must go. Everything has to be destroyed. You don't get the cattle, you don't get the gold, you don't get anything. It all goes. And now here we see another example of the ban. The Amalekites, you may recall back in Exodus 17, had given the, uh, the, the people of Israel a, a, a big problem. They had attacked them in a really dirty way. In fact, so much so that they get brought up again in Deuteronomy 25. Uh, Listen to this really quickly. Deuteronomy 25 says, Remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you came out of Egypt? How he attacked you on the way when you were faint and weary to cut off your tail, those who are lagging behind you. Who lags behind in a band of travelers? Women and children. Weak people. The people who cannot keep up. Are we dealing with warriors in this passage? Who did Amalek attack? Israel's women and children and cattle and elderly. It was an underhanded attack to strike at the core of Israel and to be rude in one of the most awful, terrorizing ways. So what are we to make of this command of the ban? Well, I think in light of Deuteronomy 25, we can understand it a bit better, right? We can understand that this isn't just merciless genocide. This is just retribution for what Amalek had done to Israel. This is justice. Indeed, this is divine justice upon a people we now know were engaged in child sacrifice. This is judgment upon the people of Amalek for their sins. This is an awful passage and it's hard to read and it's hard to swallow. And if you want me to make more sense of it, I can try, but not right now. But one thing I want to take as an instruction from this command is that you and I stand before Yahweh, the covenant Lord, as Amalekites if we do not trust in Jesus Christ. If we do not hold fast to Jesus Christ, we shall be utterly destroyed. Praise be to God that He has given us Christ. Praise be to God that we are more like the Israelites, the covenant people of God. So this command indeed is hard to swallow, but again, I think that this is justice. I know this is justice. This is just retribution. But before we get pulled further down that, let's go back to Saul. Saul had crystal clear instructions. Do not spare anything. It all has to go. Kill everything. And we see Saul making, I think, three key mistakes. First, he counts his men. Don't don't overlook that. Look again, verse 4. So Saul summoned the people. And what did he do to them? He numbered them. He wanted to make sure that he had... More than enough men. This is precisely the opposite attitude that he should have as king of Israel. Remember, just a few chapters ago, Jonathan says, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord for saving by many or by few. And two Israelites rout an entire Philistine army. If you're not convinced that this is a mistake, also note that later on we're going to see David count his men. And it costs him dearly. Because Yahweh has to tell his people, Yahweh has to tell you and me all the time, that he is providing in his way. He is providing in a better way. That he will give us victory regardless if it's 200,000 or two men. And only one of them has a sword. The second mistake Saul makes is that he spares King Agag. This one's obvious. He lets one of the Amalekites live. He was just told not to do this. And he spares the king. Finally, the last mistake he makes is he takes the livestock. You see, the temptation had already been planted. It had already taken root. And at that point, I'm going to settle for the spoils of war, he says. What's Saul's primary problem? He's got stuff in his ears. He he hasn't taken the Q-tip after his last bath and gotten the earwax out. He's clogged up his ears because he wants stuff. He wants one more. He wants these spoils. He wants to keep his people happy. You see, the 200,000 men are a double-edged sword, aren't they? They'll defeat the Amalekites from a worldly perspective, most certainly. But then when they want something... You've got one man trying to say, no, 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 don't do that. Saul does not listen to Yahweh, but he listens to the sound of the cattle. He listens to the sound of his people. He listens to his own inward temptation. You've got men screaming. You've got cattle just making an incredible amount of noise. You can imagine in the heat of battle, uh, cows. I was just at a farm the other day cows get scared when one person walks up on them can you imagine 200,000 210,000 men waging war you imagine how terrified they are then got so much sound that Saul forgets that crystal clear instruction destroy it all get rid of it but go back with me really quickly to that exercise we just did Lord just speak to me Tell me what you want me to do. Tell me the decision here. Tell me my future so I can rest easy at night. He told Saul in no uncertain terms what to do and Saul didn't listen. Do you think you're better than Saul? Do you think you're better than Saul? I can tell you countless times this week that I have sinned against the Lord. And that is me not listening to the crystal clear, explicit commands of God. And I suspect I'm not the only one in this room who's in that boat. Is it in our nature to obey God's Word? To hear God's Word? The answer is no. The answer is no. But in Jesus Christ, He has given us a new heart. We are, as John 3 says, born again. The Holy Spirit works this this regenerating power in us to give us ears that aren't clogged to hear the Word of God. And to give us the ability and the love of Christ to obey God. To not be like Saul. Saul. Lest we wag our finger at King Saul, let us remember we too were like him. So too were some of you, Paul says. But Saul's deafness isn't the only character flaw. Now we've got another one. Deafness has led to a hardening of his heart. Consider with me that point very quickly. Turn again to verse 13. Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed be you to the Lord, I have performed formed this commandment of Yahweh. Did he? Did he? I love Samuel's retort here. Then what is the bleating of sheep in my ears? You see Saul's deafness is now clogging Samuel's ears. And as the king of Israel, it's going to clog the people's ears. I just I can't get. A, what is that sound? And it's at this point we see Saul's first opening in this passage. Stop! Drop to your knees! Confess your sins and repent! Right? That's what we're we're kind of like uh, uh, the the little league coach uh, yelling, "Run to first base!" Right? We're we're kind of looking at this passage saying, "No, Saul, stop." Don't harden your heart further. Confess and repent. Confess and repent. And Saul does what Saul does. What we do. He gets defensive. He rationalizes. No, no, no. We, we, um, uh, we, 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 we brought the cattle back. Yeah, um, we, we brought it back for sacrifices. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good reason to keep the cattle. I brought the king back. He could still die. I mean, we could, we could do that right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I, I've obeyed. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. You see, he's probably rationalized all this, but don't forget where did he just come from? Not killing the Amalekites. He's, he made a crucial stop, didn't he? Where did he stop? In Carmel. What did he do in Carmel? He built a monument for himself. You see, the hardness had already taken root. The defensiveness and rationalization are an effect of him already having a hard heart. And all this points to the fact that, friends, if we remain deaf to God's Word, if we refuse to heed His call, our hearts will stop beating, spiritually speaking. We shall become so calloused and so hardened that we shall seek every rationalization and every defensive measure we can before the throne of God. I'm often struck by Matthew chapter 7 when Jesus says, and many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in Your name? Did we not do many great works in Your name? And what does Jesus say to them? Get away from me. I never knew you. Workers of lawlessness, you see, they're defending themselves. No, 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 no. We, we, we did it. The cattle are for sacrifices. I brought the king. We can handle him. You know what we should do in front of the throne of God on Judgment Day, my friends? Just scream over and over, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ. I have no other argument. I know no other plea. Jesus Christ. He has redeemed us from this hardness. But if we remain deaf, if we follow Saul's example, if we do not seek out the Lord, but instead seek after our own lusts and our own devices, our own whatever, we shall be like the man in Pilgrim's Progress, in the Iron Cage. Remember him? In the interpreter's house? What's the problem? He has become so hardened and so calloused that he cannot even bring himself to repent. And where is he? In an iron cage, bemoaning the fact that for eternity he shall not have gone. Have you experienced a hardening like this in your life? Have you you seen somebody else go through this? Well, we've seen this, right? Somebody who who says, oh, I can do this small little thing which turns into a bigger thing and then a bigger thing. And then after you know it, they're rejecting line by line Scripture. Saying it's irrational. Saying that it's full of contradictions. All of a sudden, you you get this idea that they're rejecting verse after verse, truth after truth, doctrine after doctrine, until there's nothing left. Until the hardening is complete. If you're going through that hardening right now, can I say something to you? A couple weeks ago, Pastor Lee got a little provocative and called us all stupid. You remember that? If you're going through that hardening, can I tell you, shut up. Tell your soul, tell those around you, stop talking. Listen for God and His Word. It's not comfortable. You know that. It's not easy to go against our own nature. You know that. But it is good. And it's glorifying to God. One of my favorite passages in all of Scripture is 1 Kings chapter 19. Elijah's on the run from Queen Jezebel. You know the story? And he shows up at Mount Sinai and he tucks himself into a cave. And God says, Elijah, what are you doing here? And he makes this grand speech and all of a sudden Elijah feels a windstorm. But the Lord was not in the windstorm. Then he goes through an earthquake. The Lord was not in the earthquake. Then he saw a firestorm. I don't even know what that is. I'm terrified of ever knowing what that is. But the Lord was not in the firestorm. But what came next? A low whisper. And that is where Elijah found Yahweh. In his word. In Yahweh speaking to him. An inaudible whisper. And that's just so indicative of what's going on in your life and in my life, isn't it? So much stuff is going on. We have so many concerns. We have so many people in this life who don't want us to follow Christ, including who? Our own sinful hearts. Don't listen to them. The Lord is not in the earthquake or the wind or the fire. The Lord is in his word. In that low whisper. Would you seek him out there? Go back to Saul. We see that there's this incredible amount of noise inside and out around and within our dear King Saul. But he doesn't even stop for a moment to tell everybody to shut up. He doesn't even tell himself to shut up. Instead, what does he do? He runs after what he wants. And this results in the climax of our story, the rejection of King Saul. What's interesting is Saul doesn't quite understand it, does he? I mean, he hears the words just like he heard the words of Yahweh, but he's still not listening. We see even a, a, a false repentance. He all right, all right, I, I'm sorry, I, I repent. I, let, let's just, but let's just go back and I'll, I'll bow before the Lord, you're gone. And we're, we're okay, we're okay. Let's maintain appearances. In classic worldly fashion, Saul, a king like the nations, the king the Israelites asked for, is not thinking about Yahweh, is not thinking about how he has offended a holy God, is not thinking about any of this. He's considering his next PR campaign. How do I cover this up? You have to stop and think for a second, poor Samuel, right? I mean, Samuel didn't even want the king to begin with. And then he had to drag Saul out of the baggage and had to get him up in front of people and had to get him to do stuff. And then he's telling him what to do, and and Saul's just not listening. And now he's grieved to his soul that Saul has not listened. And he's even grieved further that Yahweh has rejected him. But Samuel says something very clear it's over, you're done. You have rejected the word of Yahweh. And so Yahweh has rejected you as king over Israel. And then he turns the knife and he's giving it to a neighbor who's better than you. Can you imagine that rejection? I mean, I, I've experienced rejection before. I know you've experienced rejection before. I guarantee you it's not even close to this level. It's not even remotely near what Saul is experiencing here. But let me tell you, as with Saul, so with us. While God has rejected Saul as king over Israel, has He rejected Saul as a man? Note that very important point. He has rejected you as king over Israel. And at this point, Dale Ralph Davis is so good at pointing out that Saul has another opportunity to drop to his knees and to repent before a holy God and to get right with God through faith. But he doesn't. We're going to see a, an incredible transformation of Saul. We've seen kind of this hesitant king so far, right? This I need a couple hundred thousand more men. Mm-hmm. Okay, now we're ready. Yep, we can go. Not really listening. Hiding in the baggage. We're going to see a a Saul that almost turns into a tyrant now as he watches as the kingdom is ripped from his hands. Friends, I want to tell you this morning that our God has given us the means of acceptance. Do you understand that today? That as Yahweh has rejected Saul as king over Israel, whether or not he rejects him as a man later on, I'll leave that for... Pastor Lee, get one less hard passage off my back. I know one thing. That you and I can be and are accepted in Yahweh's sight through Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? Do you trust this low whisper of God's Word? Do you go to it telling yourself in that spiritual mirror, shut up and listen to God? Do you sit there, still, silent? That you might know that He is God? Friends, you can only do this in Jesus Christ. And how do we know about Jesus? How do we know that Jesus loves me? For the Bible tells me so. The Word of God is for the people of God. Thanks be unto God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, You're so gracious. You're so merciful. You're so mighty. And we know that Your justice is coming. But Father, as we approach this table, as we come now into Your holy presence by Your Spirit into the throne room in the heavenly places to feast spiritually upon Christ, I would pray, O Heavenly Father, that we would cling evermore upon Jesus Christ for our acceptance. And that we would not be like Saul and like so many friends and family that we've seen elsewhere. That we would not reject you because we're not listening. Father, let us not be like Saul, but let us be like his neighbor who is better than him, Jesus Christ. we know that without him, there is no hope of salvation. O Holy Christ, redeem us and forgive us our sins. Make us pleasing and acceptable before your Father for no other reason than your grace alone. Would you do that today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.